0: At Luckylandslots.com. Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW group void were prohibited by law. 18 plus turns and conditions supply! Here comes a lightning bolt! Charger fans are witnesses to him! This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle.
2: Go, Chargers, go.
1: If you thought that game was wild, just wait till you hear this Lightning Round Podcast. Jamie and I got something for you. I am Garrett Sisti, which is at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. Jamie is tweeting at Lightning underscore round. We're going to read off these donations. We got some questions, get into some storylines, but. Let's just go ahead and get on with it.
2: All right. We'll start out with a big thank you to Junius Lim, who sent in a donation and said, thanks for the work you guys put into this podcast. Thank you, Junius, for your donation.
1: Yeah, thank you. Christopher Wiggins says, not just the best Chargers pod, one of the best sports pods, period. Keep it up. Thank you, Christopher. Appreciate it.
2: That's pretty high praise. Thank you, Christopher. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> next one is Kevin Hughes. Thank you for the donation. And Kevin says... Have listened to you for quite some time from Northern California. You guys are great. Thanks, Kevin. You're pretty great, too.
1: Yeah. Junius, Christopher, Kevin, and our last one here, Derek Jackson. Thank you, all four of you, for your donations. Don't forget, we're now on Venmo. It's lightning round. You can find us. We're still on PayPal. Uh, We put both links in the articles now. So if you don't know where that's at or don't know how to use it, not familiar with it, go to the article where we post the podcast on Bulls from the Blue. There's a link for both. If you feel like donating, you can. If not, we appreciate you listening. So, before we get into these callers, we're just going to go ahead and get into the news of the day. And the news of the day today is the Chargers cut their recent right tackle, Joe Barksdale. They called up Dylan Cantrell, the six-round pick out of Texas Tech. He will now take over Joe Barksdale's spot. And kind of a eerie quote from Anthony Lynn today saying, you know, listen, it's not a good time. To cut your almost starting right tackle, they were kind of flipping Sam Tevy and Joe Barksdale for most of the season, but he thought it was best for Joe and best for the Chargers.
2: Yeah, it was kind of a surprise move. I mean, we've been talking about—we spent all offseason talking about cutting him in the offseason, and that didn't happen. So you kind of figure they're going to stick with him through the year, especially with Tevy's inexperience. You figured they'd want somebody— with some experience behind him. And he was a healthy scratch this week without much explanation. And they decide on Monday to cut him. And it uh, seems like, you know, when you're a healthy scratch for personal reasons, and we know Joe's background with having depression and dealing with those troubles, you know, those mental health issues, seems like maybe they both, maybe both sides just decided it was time to part ways. And Joe needed to focus on getting healthy or something along those lines. So, you know, you, you root for a guy like that to figure things out and to take care of himself. We'll hope, so hopefully Joe figures out how to take care of himself and get better, and hopefully the Chargers haven't left themselves too thin at, at the tackle position with Tevi. you know, sometimes playing well and sometimes struggling.
1: Yeah, yeah, Trent Scott will be the next man up now. You got to hope that Forrest Lamp will finally be active on Sundays. Now with a offensive lineman down and they brought in a wide receiver, so that spot is open, and hopefully that's for Forest Lamp. And, you know, I hate to speculate, don't know exactly what happened, if it is about the Depression. It's good that Lynn said that they're both in good spots. He said, you know, uh, we had a good conversation, and uh, Joe's good, and we're good. And so if that's the case and he's kind of just come to peace with it, good for him uh, to get himself right. And, you know, uh, you kind of rooted for him last year. I mean, you always rooted for him, but when he came out with a story about battling depression, you re- it really struck a chord with you and you felt uh really felt for the guy. And for him to leave early during the season is a little sad, but the fact that he can work on himself is definitely a positive. So hopefully he gets the help he needs. And now the Chargers will have Sam Tevy trent Scott rolling at the tackle spots going forward.
2: Yeah, and coming off a game in which the Chargers... Both chargers' guards struggled at times, uh hopefully, like you mentioned, this will be a path for Forrest Lamp to being active and hopefully at some point finding his way on the field this year because uh the guard play was not great in Pittsburgh,
1: yeah, and hey, maybe we'll see some Dylan Cantrell too, I doubt I don't know how many snaps he'll get on offense, but maybe he'll start to get a little work on special teams. We know he's a quick wide receiver, so maybe we see some special teams work early on. Maybe he can work in some snaps later in the year, but uh, good to see Dylan Cantrell now on the active roster too.
2: Yeah, I doubt we see him get many snaps um, with the offense. I mean, you know, Jeremy Davis has been active for most of the season, quote-unquote active, but hasn't seen much of the field. They just don't have much of a need for a fifth or a sixth wide receiver at this point, but I think this move is really about... Shoring up the special teams, like you mentioned, Garrett, uh, with Austin Eckler getting more carries, more touches uh, in Melvin Gordon's absence. He's such a stalwart on the special teams, and there's such a notable, noticeable dip in the production on special teams when he's not on the field that I think they just wanted to get um, Cantrell out there, who's a good athlete, who's physical. They, they know he can block. He was a great blocker in college and maybe hoping he can help out on coverage teams, which... You know, for the most part, we're actually pretty good in Pittsburgh. But, um, you know, I figure that's the plan, that it's more about special teams at this point uh, with Cantrell, assuming he's active, than it is about offense.
1: Right. So we got a couple callers, got a couple questions via the email. So let's go ahead and get into that. And our first one is from our favorite caller. It's Liam. Hi, this is Liam from Bellflower. Out of 0 through 10, how good would you rate Justin Jackson after his big night? Dang, go Charger. So you got to rate Justin Jackson 1 to 10. Justin Jackson 1 to 10
2: after what, like 15, 16 carries? In Come two on, games. give it to him. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty impressed with him. I like the vision. I like the burst and the elusiveness in the open field. I'll say, I don't know, seven, seven and a half. I'll go seven and a half.
1: All right. Well, I'm sure we'll get into him a little bit later, but I'm giving him a 10. Because yeah. of the significance of riding him late in that game. All right. Like he was Fair a enough. seasoned veteran. Give him a 10 for his rookie <laughs> debut. Next caller is Jeff.
0: Hey, guys. Jeff up and Redding. Great statement win by the Chargers. What do you think about the end of the game there with the way the Steelers acted? I think it was personally like insanely classless, and I can't believe that they were acting like that. Also, how mad would you be if the Chargers end up 13-3 and three and they're still the 5-seed? Uh, thanks and go bolts.
2: Well, Jeff, I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't, I don't recall seeing anything on the field that made me think, wow, that's classless. Uh, maybe I missed something, which is entirely possible because, uh, I wasn't seeing much of anything after that game. I was emotionally fried The, you know, (laughs) the rock bottom of the first half, the extreme highs of the second half, the three kicks at the end of the game uh i was basically having an out-of-body experience watching the chargers win in pittsburgh coming from behind by 16 at halftime so i i didn't see anything i don't know that i would have seen anything had i been completely lucid i just i was out of it by the end of that game so i did not see anything i'm going to assume maybe you were talking about um mike tomlin's postgame press conference where he was being asked about the the officials and he basically said something to the effect of I'm not going to talk about the officials. I'm not going to say anything. I'm keeping my mouth shut because I've sent enough money to New York where he was basically blaming the officials for the loss without directly blaming them for the loss. I don't know if that's what you're talking about or not. My first thought when I saw that was that's pretty poor form for an NFL head coach to go that route after his team just pissed away a 16-point lead at home. But, uh, I mean, I get being frustrated, but to flat-out blame the officials – I think is pretty weak. Although I have had fun trolling Pittsburgh fans this today. That that was yep. pretty fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. Same here. Same here.
2: <laughs> so what do you think Garrett? Did you see anything?
1: No. I mean, the only thing that comes to mind is maybe the uh, three straight offsides plays in a row. Uh, those three penalties. I don't know if that is really an issue. I don't think that's being disrespectful. It just seems like they broke down late and it kind of seemed like they were just, and like a player pointed out on Twitter that Mike went, shifts the ball before he snaps and they were kind of, they basically just wanted to, you know, jump the snap early and was following the football rather than just waiting till it was snapped. But I, I don't see them as being classless in that regard. It seemed uh, pretty nice of them to keep gifting Michael Badgley <laughs> five more yards at a time, three times in a row. So especially since he missed that first kick, by the way. Uh So for me, that, that was kind of nice of them. but uh th- that just seemed like them being undisciplined and, It was fine by me at the end because the result was good. Now, in terms of being 13-3 and and still being a wild card, now that would suck. But getting into the playoffs is enough for me right now. I mean, this whole season feels foreign. And Jamie and I have talked about it, I think, off mic. I think we've texted back and forth about it. I don't think we've talked on the podcast about it, but... You know, as Charger fans, we've been conditioned to, you know, piss those games away, you know. Expect the worst. Come back from from 16 and then miss that kick and lose it in overtime. That's what I expected. I'm still not used to it, but things are just going so good. So as long as they make it to the playoffs and everything's still right and everything's good, I'm fine. Because, you know, wherever they're seated, they're going to have to play good teams anyway, and they just do their damage from where they're at. And then, you know, it's not like... And this isn't a shot at L.A., even though I guess it kind of is, you know, is StubHub really a home field advantage? Are we really, you know, the Chargers really trying to play for that right now? I mean, that's not a storyline I really want to explore for a week straight of will the opposing fans fill the stadium more than actual Charger fans Stub StubHub? I just don't want to go through that. The answer is yes, they will,
2: by the way. They but... <laughs> will.
1: And will they sell out a soccer stadium? I just don't want to hear both arguments. I it's It's tired. It's a tired argument, and I just don't want to hear it. So I'm all right with it. Thirteen and three would be crazy. Just get in the playoffs, for God's sakes.
2: Yeah, not to mention if you finish thirteen and three, that means you beat Kansas City in Kansas City, and they've still got yeah. the Ravens and the Seahawks. So they play the Ravens, the Chargers, and the Seahawks in three straight weeks here, uh before they get the Raiders to end the year. So if you finish thirteen and three and you beat the Seahawks or, and you beat Kansas City in Kansas City, there's a better-than-average chance that you are going to win the division because they're probably going to lose one of those two games to either uh, Baltimore, Baltimore or, Se- Seattle. or Seattle. And you're really hoping that they drop to Baltimore because that would be an AFC loss. And mm-hmm. if the Chargers win out, that means the Chargers have a better AFC record. And if they're tied, the Chargers win the division. So 13-3, and winning in Kansas City, you're probably not going to finish with the fifth seed. Just odds are you're probably not going to. Right. So, I don't think it's an issue, and I don't see how you can be pissed at thirteen and three, but uh, <laughs> that'd be crazy though It'd be pretty wild to, to finish yeah. thirteen and three and not and not win your division, but I doubt that happens if they finish thirteen and three, I think they're winning the division.
1: yeah, same here all right, so. Now on to the emails. This one's from Justin. Hey, guys. First off, thanks for putting in the time and effort to make an excellent podcast each week. Thank you, Justin. That's very nice. Appreciate you both. Man, I like how this started. Can we stop here? (laughs) Uh, do (laughs) Do you think that Justin Jackson begins to take touches from Eckler after his performance against the Steelers? Also, do you think the Chargers coaching staff has effectively evaluated Eckler as an RB2, or is it more that they fail at game planning for him as a lead back?
2: Uh, so to answer your first question, will he start to take touches from Eckler? Uh, I think you're probably going to see more of a split like we talked about last week, where it's more Eckler catching the ball and and Jones running the ball. Because unfortunately, Eckler has not been effective when they've given him a lot of touches as a quote-unquote starter. Um in Melvin Gordon's absence, now to answer your question, when you say, "Have they effectively evaluated Eckler as a, as a RB 2 I mean, are you saying is are you asking if that's a correct av- evaluation, or are you saying are you asking if that's how they've evaluated him? Because I think they have evaluated him as an RB two. They've said during the course of the season he's a complementary back, he's a change of pace back. That's his role. So they seem like they have their mind made up that that's who and what he is.
1: And, yeah, and earlier this year, Lynn said, He's our second running back for a reason when he was questioned about Eckler taking carries. That's, so, yeah,
2: that's the quote I was referring to. I didn't have the yeah. exact rule, I didn't have the exact words, but that's the quote I was referring to where he said mm-hmm. flat out, He is our RB2. So, they have made up their minds that he is the RB2. And I think the fact that they really, in now two starts for him, they've done nothing to game plan to his strengths suggests that they're just not going to. They they don't they don't game plan for him at all. They they game plan for him beautifully when he's the second running back and he's coming in for, you know, 10 to 15 touches or whatever the whatever the the final count is where they seem like they do a good job of getting him in space and creating matchups for him and letting him eat up yards in the middle of the field or, or you know, out on the edges, but when he's a starter and he's getting 15 carries and, they're, and, and he, they're throwing the ball at him five or six times a game, it seems like he's an afterthought, and they're just running him up the middle for, for the sake of being quote-unquote balanced with no real interest in getting him on track. So I, I don't care for the way they game plan for him as a starter. So if that's how they're going to use him as a starter, by all means, give those starting touches to Jackson, take Eckler back to that RB2 role, and – Use him the way you use him as an RB2 because you don't seem to want to do that with him as a starter for some reason.
1: We kind of talked about it last week. We thought Jackson would get more touches on the ground and Eckler would do more of his damage through the air. And let's hope that happens this week. Let's hope that Eckler is a little bit more effective this week as well. And yeah, I think it's probably closer to 50-50 on the ground, but you're you're probably going to see a lot more touches from Eckler. Eckler had five more carries than Jackson, but Jackson had zero carries in that first half. And he got the workload because they just needed to jumpstart that run game when Eckler just wasn't working. So in terms of your second part, I, you know, Jamie mentioned it. They've already deemed him a RB2. Lynn said he's our second running back for a reason. And, you know, it's two games now where Austin Eckler is the lead back. At least this week, you know, there was the excuse that in London, Gordon was probably going to be the starter and he was a late scratch. So they didn't. They weren't fully prepared for him. Uh, one would say you should probably be prepared for him to not be the starter because there was a chance he wasn't going to play, but fine. This week you knew Eckler was going to be the starter, and yet you're running him like he's Frank Gore at the goal line, up the middle. And, uh, you know, there's there's been an argument about how they got to do that, they got to set up the run, and you can't just run off the edges every time, and that's fine, but how many times did they run him off the edge and try to get him in space in the first half on the ground? None. Like none? Yeah. The only damage he did in space was a swing pass.
2: I only saw them get him on the edge once, maybe twice in the second half, and the first time went for five yards. And it was the first time all game they intentionally tried to get him outside as a runner.
1: Yeah, and it's not like he's this niche back or anything. You could literally just rip a page out of... Melvin Gordon's script and give it to Eckler and, you know, let him run inside, run off the edge, passes in space. I mean, it's not, it's not that difficult, but when you view him as this, I don't know, a uh, hard nosed power back, it's, it's not serving him well. Yeah. And it's counterproductive. Definitely.
2: Yeah. It's frustrating to watch. Um, I, I just, I don't know what, I don't know where, how they go from using him so effectively in space, for example, against the Cardinals last week, where, they were moving him around. They had him in motion back and forth across the formation, you know. And they were there were a couple of plays where they had him motion across the formation and then loop back around Rivers to catch a pass in the backfield. Uh, you just can't follow him across the field for that long. But for whatever reason, all those motion plays are gone. Um it seems like he's in the backfield with Chris Watt running right up the or Derek Chris Watt, Watt. Derek Watt, excuse <laughs> me. They <laughs> Fordian slip there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's in the backfield behind Derek Watt, just running the ball straight up the middle into one of the top four or five defensive line groups in, in the league. I mean, yeah, man. to expect the chargers interior line outside of Mike Pouncey to hold up against to and Hargrove and, um, Hayward, Hayward is, I mean, it kind of suggests you don't understand your personnel to be honest with you. So they didn't do the offensive line any favor in the first half. They didn't do Eckler any favors in the first half. And then they get Justin Jackson in there. They start getting guys in motion. Uh pulling guards, pulling pouncy, getting guys out in space, letting them be athletes for a change instead of trying to win, you know, mono and mono in the trenches, and all yeah. of a sudden they start running the ball well. It's I mean, it's not that hard. It's really not. But it just seemed like they weren't interested in getting big running plays. They were just interested in running to mix things up in the first half and there was no interest in having any success with it so it was hard to watch but they figured it out and took it in a different direction in the second half i don't want to be negative here it was a great game so
1: yeah i mean we're we're gonna get pretty positive here soon so it's okay you can get a a little negative here
2: so next question is from ryan and he says hi guys first time i've written in but i listen talk on twitter every week Is it just me or does Michael Davis seem to have the perfect skill set to be a free safety instead of the hopeless Adai? He has great closing speed and is a sure tackle, but he lacks the man-to-man coverage as an outside corner in my eyes. It would be cool if you could discuss this on the pod. It's just something I've thought over the last few weeks after being sick of Adai.
1: Well, we're all sick of Adai, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Join the club. But uh, personally, I don't think Michael Davis would be a good option at free safety. I think Davis looks really good within the first 10 yards, you know, not counting the jab at the line of scrimmage, but everything in 10 yards. He can tackle receivers and backs in front of him. He can close on the ball quickly, able to jump route or two. But like we saw Sunday, if you stretch him out, he struggles. Even though he's the fastest DB, he just hasn't... Seem to be able to run with wide receivers, and he couldn't run with Ryan Switzer, which was a problem on Sunday. And uh, also, he doesn't really get his head around fast enough and find the football when it's in the air. So leaving him on an island as the last man of defense does not seem ideal to me. So I would say I don't like that idea. I will say, I'll throw one out, uh, seemed to me when Adrian Phillips was running uh, stride for stride with Justin Hunter down there deep down the field, he looked pretty good no help from a die there on that play but uh (laughs) hey i thought phillips looks pretty good running deep so uh, hey maybe you throw him back there
2: i think phillips is the answer at free safety right now if you're not going to move derwin off the line of scrimmage phillips is the answer in my opinion he i mean he bailed a die out there on that play he's he's they've been mixing him in back there a little bit the last couple of games and he's i think you've seen him around the ball and he looks pretty comfortable in terms of michael davis at free safety i mean I mean, you like the size, you like the speed, um, you like the tackling. Those are all good things. But the free safety has to be able to find the ball in the air. And right now, Davis is not doing that. Uh, I don't think running with wide receivers necessarily is the problem. I think he just panics with the ball in the air, and he forgets to turn and look for the ball. That's just a technique thing and a confidence thing that hopefully at some point will go away with more reps, assuming they're going to give him more reps. Um, I mean to expect him to cover Ryan's well he should be able to cover Ryan Switzer down the field he (laughs) he should definitely be able to cover Ryan Switzer down the field um I thought he you know I thought he played really well against Denver I thought he looked outside of the touchdown pass to to Fitz um last week I thought he looked pretty good last week he's been tackling really well he's breaking well on balls that are thrown underneath a lot of his issues have been that cover three zone scheme where he's playing way off the ball and uh, they're just giving up free slants in the middle of the field and there's no chance for him to recover and make a play. He's had issues with that and he's had issues down the field, but if they can, he can keep the ball in front of him, he's pretty good. So I don't know what the answer is with him. You, want an athlete that, you think you want to have an athlete like, like that on the field, but if you can't trust him to find the ball and not grab, it becomes a problem. So they got to figure out what they're doing with that corner spot before they get to the playoffs. Cause that could really hurt them down the stretch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he had a pretty good pass breakup in the second half, kind of put the clamps down a little bit. We didn't see that big of an issue for Michael Davis in the second half. I, I thought that uh, penalty at the end of the first half was a little ticky tacky. I mean, they, he kind of had his arm around was a juju on that pass uh-huh. and, uh, you know, I, I guess it could go either way, but it seemed like he made a pretty good play on the ball with his off arm. But, uh yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the it's it's the getting grabby. I mean, he yeah. practically tackled Switzer in the end zone. He jumped and, on his back. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. He it gave a piggyback ride. Yeah. yeah. And uh so, yeah, I, I mean, in theory, it sounds nice. You know, he's got the size. He's got the speed. He can tackle. You would think that would be a good option. But just the way he's playing right now, I, I would say no.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think it works right now. Maybe that's something you think about in the off season, but I don't think you want to throw him back there having to cover that much ground and make those kind of decisions um as you're making a playoff push. I don't think that's something I don't think that's a change you want to make right now. I think Phillips is definitely Oh, definitely the answer. Yeah, definitely not this yeah.
1: season. Yeah.
2: Um and I agree with you. I thought the second pass interference call on him, I mean, you could make an argument it was pass interference, but I got to be honest, the Steelers were getting away with way worse back there. All game, there was a play where one of the safeties basically dove through and over Antonio Gates on second down to swat a ball away. I mean, played right through him and no call, and they were you know, dragging Keenan down to the ground in the middle of the field all day long. They won. I'm not going to blame the officials for anything, but I thought that officiating crew was not good. We'll leave it at that. On both sides. On both sides.
1: There were a lot of blown
2: calls on both sides that hurt and helped both sides throughout the game. So it, it wasn't as one sided as Steelers fans want to make it seem like.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that, that play on Antonio gets, I think it was Sean Davis. Mm-hmm. He basically wore, he wore him like a backpack <laughs> <laughs> and, was just, and Anthony's like, Antonio's like, what's going on? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, that was a terrible non-call. It was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Last question here from Daniel. Enjoy your contributions, Garrett. Thank you, Daniel. But this is for Jamie, Okay, that's it for the questions. Let's move on to our <laughs> <understanding>. <laughs> If you are exposing your family to excessive celebrations, Jamie during the game, how close are we to a hashtag bolt up also, when was the last time you guys felt this way about the franchise two
2: thousand six so for those of you who don't know what Daniel's talking about after Des King returned his punt for the touchdown in the third quarter last night, I posted on Twitter that I felt bad for my family because I was jumping up and down, screaming and dancing as he was returning that kick for a touchdown. And (laughs) I felt like I had done my wife and my seven-year-old daughter a disservice for making them watch that and that everybody else should feel lucky that they had not seen it. So that's what he's referring to. Uh, Yes, I exposed my family to an excessive celebration, uh, which basically amounts to the – Rhythmless, talentless, forty-year-old white guy jumping up and down in his living room, pumping his legs up and down, cheering "Go, go, go!" and making an ass of himself. It was not a pretty sight. Uh, how close are we to a hashtag bolt up? Uh, not real close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'll make you a deal, Daniel. If uh, if they win the Super Bowl, I will give you. I'll uh, give you a bolt up.
1: Not even if they're going to the Super Bowl, they have to they win have it. They have to win it. Oh boy. Yeah, man, you're not getting that from him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough ask. So, all right, what about the uh, about this franchise? When was the last time you felt this good about the Chargers franchise?
2: Um, I think the last time I felt this good about the team was probably 2006 and 2007. I thought I was convinced they were going to win the Super Bowl in 2006 when they blew that game at home against the Patriots. And then – I thought everything was lining up perfectly for them to beat the Colt or beat the Patriots in the AFC Championship game the following year, but the injuries caught up to them and they just couldn't get it done. Uh, Between Rivers' knees and the injuries to Gates and Merriman and LT and uh, everybody was hurt. So that's the last time I felt I'm not there yet. But this is as close as I've been to that since 2006 and 2007. I would say.
1: I thought, uh, and I know this question was for you, but I assume I can jump in on the second part if that's yeah. With go for it. I don't want to rain on your parade here. It's but, your show uh, too. Go for it. Yeah, <laughs> but he he addressed you, not me. Um, yeah, six and seven definitely. Um, Two thousand nine, I think, was close too. They went thirteen and three that year, I believe. Yeah, I, n- I never um, had that feeling about that team, but that's just me. Well, I mean, I, just a, a good feeling about it. They had a really good record. I, you know. I don't think this team has as good of a supporting cast as those teams did, but uh, this is definitely as close as I've gotten to either of those years, for sure.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm still working on f- having that confidence, but it's a different feeling going into every Sunday with, I mean, I thought that in all candor, I thought they'd lose in Pittsburgh. I think we both thought they'd lose in Pittsburgh.
1: Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I predicted that most
2: Chargers fans probably thought they would lose in Pittsburgh, but on a week-to-week basis, this is as confident as I've been in them since 2006 and 2007, where you just feel like they're going to find a way to get it done.
1: All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the game. Go ahead and give me your first storyline.
2: So my first storyline, and I'm sure you've got this in yours somewhere, is uh, the Chargers make history with a win in Pittsburgh. Uh, This was a huge win on many levels. Obviously, Charger fans everywhere are thumping their chest saying we have arrived because this is the statement game they've been waiting for. I I thought Seattle was a statement game. I think this is a statement game. So it's big on that level. But then you start getting into the numbers of how hard it is to win in Pittsburgh. The Chargers were the first team ever to beat the Steelers at home. So first visiting team ever to beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh after trailing by 14 or more points at the half. The Steelers were 220 zero and one when leading by 14 or more points at halftime at home in franchise history and the chargers beat them last night that's pretty damn impressive they were also the first visiting team ever to beat the steelers in pittsburgh after trailing by at least 16 points at any point in the game the the steelers were 174 0 and one i believe heading into last night's game when they've, trailed by, when they've led by 16 or more points at home at any point in the game. And the final stat, the Chargers are the first team in the history of Heinz Field to beat the Steelers in primetime. The Steelers have been 8-0 in primetime games at Heinz Field going into that game before the Chargers beat them. So you put all that together, and what do you have? You have the Chargers making, earning a historical victory on the road against a surefire playoff team, likely a division winner, a team that they've always struggled with, in a venue where they have always struggled and they did it in pretty emphatic fashion in the second half. So, you know, you kind of throw out that first half, which was awful. And you look at how they came out as a different team in the second half. And, uh, that, that is a team that I think can do serious damage down the stretch because not many team, well, no team had ever done what they did on three different levels in pittsburgh in december no less
1: yeah i'll throw out a couple more stats too because i i wanted to talk about this very thing as well and i think they were 220 zero and two but regardless the chargers were able to do something that hadn't happened in 221 or 222 times prior in pittsburgh which was amazing also on sunday phil rivers was tied with Pate manning with the most comeback wins in nfl history after trailing by 16 plus points they both have seven wins. So historic win and uh, something that you talked about or a word you mentioned, statement game. This was the biggest grievance with the Chargers' positive record. They didn't beat any good teams. There wasn't any statement game. You know, they won in London, but, you know, the Titans were good, but they're not the playoff team they were last year. And that win in Seattle was great, but they're a sub-500 team now. That's They're not a good team anymore, you know? On Sunday, you saw them. They are a serious contender now. It was an impressive win, and it's just a foreign feeling. Again, it was amazing to watch, and I'm glad we were all able to witness it. And the second half, the adjustments. I just wanted to talk about some of the adjustments that they were able to make after halftime. They look like they could hang with anybody. Keenan Allen became the focal point at half, after halftime. Nine of his 14 targets came in the second half. The Steelers just could not guard him. And luckily, the Pittsburgh defensive coordinator, Keith Butler, which just lining up linebackers in the slot and base defense. And that's easy money for Rivers. Allen had 14 catches, 148 yards, caught a touchdown, two-point conversion. We talked about earlier Austin Eckler, not effective on Sunday. First possession after the half, first run on the ground, goes to Justin Jackson. We got to witness Jackson spark the game, at least spark the running game. He finished with more yards than Eckler on the ground, scored a touchdown, and looked confident in his first real workload. Was averaging almost eight yards on the ground per carry. He was amazing. His vision was phenomenal. He had patience of a veteran running back. His cuts were so sharp on the field. By the way, a field that everybody was falling on all game long. Uh, The pass rush started to come a little bit. Joey Bosa got the nice sack on a spin move. And then let's not forget something kind of going unsaid a little bit. The Chargers not only had to score twice to tie that game, they had to convert two two-point conversions. And on both those plays, Wiz designed them, and they were both easy pickins. Antonio Gates, Keenan Allen, both open on both those two-point conversions. And in the second half, the Chargers were perfect on third downs after halftime. The Steelers, 0 They went 0-3 for three after halftime on third downs. So the offense got it done. They scored 26 points in the second half. Defense didn't let the Steelers convert a single first down after halftime. Special teams got the punt return touchdown from Desmond King, not to mention the Michael Badgley game-winning field goal after three wild tries. And so this was, you know, a wild fight. They won with Hart, which was amazing. They beat a playoff team like you mentioned. They did it on the road in a place that doesn't happen in primetime with the world watching. This isn't a game. The Chargers win. Ever With a team (laughs) that we've witnessed in the last decade, maybe ever, and they have their statement game. They can look back at this when they get in a hole and say, we've had worse. Even if you're looking later this season or you're looking at the playoffs, you look at this game and go, look what we did in Pittsburgh. We can overcome anything. And the Chargers have officially become real.
2: Yes, they are for real. Most definitely. Um, That's Actually, you just kind of touched on my last two points all in one point. But (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my next point was the Chargers flipped the switch again. So you look at the first half versus the second half. In the first half, the Chargers were outgained 263 to 140, outscored 23 to 7. Antonio Brown had six catches for 120 yards and a score. The Chargers ran the ball 11 times for nine yards, had no sacks, and got one pressure in the first half. In the second half, they outgained the Steelers 231-13. to They outscored them 26-7. to Held Antonio Brown to four catches for 37 yards. They ran 11 times for 83 yards in the second half. They had a key second down sack by Bosa early in the third quarter that set up, um, I believe it's what set up the punt return, if I'm not mistaken. And they got more consistent pressure on Roethlisberger. They basically put the clamps on. They came out, and we've talked about it. I've, I've used the term... They you know they kind of reach their their fuck it point at you know at the end of the game. They've usually they reach it earlier in the game. Usually it's mid to late second quarter. They they kind of wake up and snap out of it and start running up and down the field. This time it was at halftime and it was a complete clampdown on the Steelers. They just took over the game. The Steelers barely moved the ball with the exception of their touchdown drive. They they had a couple three and outs and I think one five and out. Uh, they. They couldn't move the ball, and Antonio Brown was nowhere to be found after being open left and right and middle uh, all throughout the first half. So they made some serious adjustments. You know, you mentioned the running game picking up in the in the second half. You know, it was a completely different approach to the running game. I kind of talked about it earlier in the show. Uh, early in the game, it seemed like they went in thinking we're going to line up mono mono against the Steelers' defensive line. We're going to move them off the line of scrimmage and we're going to run the ball down their throats, and that just didn't happen. They could not get movement. I think at one point they said that um, Eckler was averaging getting hit one yard deep in the backfield every time he touched the ball in the first half. They just couldn't get any movement. In the second half, they opened up the running game. How did they do that? They started pulling guys. They started letting their athletic offensive linemen be athletic, get out in front, pull, lead. It wasn't just... Line up at the line of scrimmage, run your head into the guy in front of you, and try to move a defensive lineman you're not qualified to move. They started giving them advantages by moving them around, and they started getting Jackson out on the edges, getting him, you know, having he had linemen leading him through the hole constantly in the second half. It was a completely different approach to the running game, and that's why it was more effective. So they make the adjustment in the running game; they start running more twists and stunts up front. Um, on the defensive line which helped them get more pressure uh they you know they they made adjustments on both sides of the ball that paid huge dividends so once again chargers find themselves sleepwalking through the first half they wake up they flip the switch so to speak and they take over a game this time against a good team and finish strong so we've seen this this has been a recurring theme all year long the question was Can they do this against Pittsburgh? Can they do this against Baltimore? Can they do this against Kansas City? Well, they just did it against Pittsburgh. So now maybe it's something – I mean, obviously you don't want them to go into games sleepwalking through the first half, but now you start to have a little more confidence that, hey, maybe they can do this against good teams. Not that you want them to in this way, but it gives you a sense of confidence that you can overcome so much and really tough out a very physical, impressive win on the road like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is one of those wins you can point to at any time in the year now, even next year, and say, you know, look what we did in Pittsburgh. Because I mean, this is a the game they could talk for talk about for years to come because that was just wild. What the, all the things they overcame to win that game in Pittsburgh.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned Keenan Allen. Um, you know, his. I don't think people realize just how important his touchdown catch was in the third quarter because that ball is thrown into double coverage. Rivers gets baited into a questionable decision, questionable throw. Uh, Sean Davis and Joe Hayden bump into each other. ball pops up in the air. Keenan makes the adjustment and makes the catch if that ball hits the ground if it 's picked off Steelers are probably off to the races that's a completely different that that just that flips the game on its head completely changed momentum and it was just everything started rolling downhill from there so that's a huge catch for Keenan that was the turning point in the game that was the key play of the game in my opinion, even bigger than the punt return and um Good on them for getting him more involved in the second half and really taking advantage of those matchups that I don't know what Keith Butler was thinking, but matching him up with linebackers in the middle of the field is just insanity.
1: Yeah, I just could not get over how many, especially on the re, in the rewatch it was even more ridiculous, how many times John Bostick was matched up on Keenan Allen. It just didn't make any sense. He, I never, John Bostick was never on the field unless he was covering Keenan Allen. I just didn't understand it. <laughs> it was like they, <laughs> I, I, he wasn't in there during uh, – Run plays, he only got a handful of snaps, but every time he was running, trying to run with Keenan Allen, and they just picked on him. Yep. It was easy money, man. Easy. And sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good. And The Chargers were very lucky on Sunday. Uh, I want to talk about Derwin James because he really kept his defense together on Sunday, and he really helped this team weather the storm in the first half. If it weren't for Derwin... Not only in the first half, but all this game. I mean, they would have given up 40-plus easy. He was covering up the bad play from Casey Hayward, Michael Davis. Now, granted, Antonio Brown and Juju are probably one of the, if not the best, one-two punch in the NFL, but they both had their problems on Sunday. In the first half, the Chargers were getting no pressure on Ben Roethlisberger, and yet he was able to somehow mask that too. He had back-to-back plays in the first half. The first one came where he body-slammed James Conner to the ground on a swing route. And then the following play, picked off a pass while the Steelers were driving. Two drives later, after the block punt, Derwin breaks up a pass to Vance McDonald on a third and six. Steelers have to kick a field goal. Then on the drive before the half, Derwin James laid the wood on Antonio Brown on the sideline, forcing an incompletion because Brown could not get his second foot down. It was a perfect timed play on the man on the sideline and too bad the Chargers just can't clone Derwin so he can play free safety like he did on that play he can play strong safety maybe even Mike will <laughs> put him on the edge let him can rush we just like, get just 11 Derwins clone him, 11 <laughs> how about 10 Derwins, Derwins exactly. and one
2: Bosa how about that
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly but what Derwin showed not just Sunday but kind of verified an in interview and we were texting about it earlier today is that he's already a defensive leader. He was interviewed after the game by Haley Elwood, Mm -hmm. I think it was, at Chargers.com. And uh, she asked him about what was said at halftime because, you know, they looked like a completely different team. After halftime, Derwin said, I came in and said what I had to say. Then coach came in and said, this is going to show what type of team we are. And it definitely showed what type of team they are. But he didn't get into specifics. But with the way Derwin was playing, he made enough plays going into that game and all season that he's got the players' respect already, and you know they heard what he had to say that day because he was the only one on defense who was showing up and playing good at all. And we see him talking on the field. We know he's a competitor, but even as a rookie, we've seen that he's you know kind of earned the right to kind of light a fire under guys, maybe light into guys if he needs to. But another thing I love, too, in that interview, uh, so Derwin's got three picks on the year. The first interception – Came in the end zone. It kind of took him out of bounds, and he stepped out of the one yard line. But he had two interceptions back to back weeks, and on both of those occasions, they asked, "What'd you see on that interception?" And both times, he ended the the answer with, "I should have scored on that one." So each one, it doesn't matter if he gets the interception, he wants six every fucking time. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And the first one in Arizona, it was only a return of like two yards. He didn't really like go anywhere, but he thought. He saw ahead that he had blockers ahead of him and thought he should have scored. So Derwin is just getting better as the Chargers go into this home stretch, which is going to be really important. And the timing couldn't be more perfect, hoping they get into the playoffs and he just keeps riding that high. So it's nice to see Derwin James also get a little defensive rookie of the year love in prime time. So Derwin was just great on Sunday, and he's just getting better.
2: Yeah, I I was going to list him as one of my takeaways, but I knew you would, so I I figured you had it covered. Um, But I think the the halftime speech, as well as he played in the first half, the halftime speech is even more important because, you know, they were a noticeably different team in the second half. And even watching it live, my wife, Stephanie, was like, what is going on over there? And I said, it looks to me like somebody challenged this team's manhood in the locker room because that's – I mean, it just looked like somebody – went in and called them out. and I mean, those guys were standing around on defense in the first half. Derwin was the only one that was flying around making plays. Everybody looked lost. They all looked overwhelmed. He was the only one that didn't look like the stage was too big for him. And I just got the feeling that he went in there and he said – he basically called those guys out, challenged their manhood, told them to get their shit together and start playing some football. And sure enough, they did. And I, I had that feeling that it was him even before he said that he had spoken. So just having a rookie who's comfortable to go in the locker room, a locker room full of mostly of veterans, and tell them what he's thinking in that manner and spark a comeback like that is huge. I mean, he's already not, not only a defensive leader, he's a team leader. He's, you know, throughout the draft process, he was referred to as, quote unquote, an alpha dog, the guy who's not going to put up with crap, who's going to do his work, he's going to let people know if they're not doing theirs. And I think that's what happened there. I think he just let people know that he wasn't happy with the effort that he was seeing. And I think everybody fed off of that and everybody stepped up. So kudos to him for saying something. And it just bodes well for the Chargers down the stretch because if he's already a vocal leader like that, hopefully you get Meebane back in the next couple weeks, another vocal leader, you know, the, the defense could look a lot better as they go down the stretch here.
1: This whole season, I've just been wondering to myself how he fell to 17. I, I feel like I've said that once a game to myself. In my head, it's it's insane that he fell to 17, but he's a charger and he's just looking better and better. So uh, what's your last storyline here?
2: So I had a couple more, but I'm just going to go down to the bottom one because I think it's something that's worth mentioning is uh, I think the special teams are a storyline here. And, you know, last week we talked about how they're not a complete liability. Um, and while they did get a, a couple key plays from special teams, you know, the kick from Badgley at the end, even though he missed the first one and the punt return from King, there are some things going on on special teams that I think are worrisome that could cost them down the stretch. And I don't want to be too negative here, but I'm just going to say that rewatching that game, watching the tape, I noticed some big leaks on the punt team, the PAT team, and the field goal team. And they, I thought they were exposed up front in a big way. I saw a lack of effort. I saw a lack of technique. And it didn't look like they were very prepared. And I saw guys basically standing straight up, reaching for blocks, not making much of an effort to slide out and pick up guys coming off the edge. Uh, I saw uh, Tevi got run over twice in those final three uh, kick attempt, field goal attempts. Okun got run over once. The Steelers were basically just overloading one side to the outside, running over the second to last man on running over the tackles there and challenging the end man to make a decision. And in both, in all three cases, they made the wrong decision. So that they got a little bit exposed there i also noticed on punt teams i saw nuosu get a little confused and miss um miss an assignment on the block punt i also saw emmanuel and uh, watt whiff on the first punt attempt which was almost blocked in the end zone so it seems to me that opposing teams are finding weaknesses in the chargers uh, special team schemes up front the Steelers exposed them. They didn't pay off fully. I mean they got the block punt, but they didn't they didn't pay off in terms of a block kick. So hopefully they figure out a way to get in there and fix it. And uh and it doesn't show it doesn't rear its ugly head again at the end of the season.
1: I kind of want to talk some more about Justin Jackson. And we talked about it a little earlier, but uh I think he deserves some credit for accelerating the run game. Early on, Wiz had Austin Eckler running up the middle like we talked about, also did him no favors because We didn't really mention a lot, but that old line was kind of getting manhandled early on, especially in the interior. There was no attempt to get Eckler in space. All that getting Eckler in space was in the passing game early on. But Justin Jackson, like we said last week, is better between the tackles, rusher on the ground. But nobody thought he was as good as he was on Sunday because he looked awesome. His vision was outstanding. To split those two defenders on the touchdown was impressive. He was running with confidence too when he, there was one play where he broke outside and rather than skirt out of bounds, he cut between two defenders. He put both hands on the football and just dove forward for a couple extra yards, which was great. They really rode Jackson late too to close out that game and he deserved it. Eckler looked like he was running a little scared and overall being ineffective and uh, Jackson was really impressive. Can you convince me that Justin Jackson doesn't look like Le'Veon Bell, Jamie?
2: Doesn't really
1: the vision. Give me the uh, vision. Come on. Great, but really, <laughs> are we, are we
2: overselling just a little bit, just a little?
1: <laughs> no, no, nope. Um, and also if I'm Anthony Lynn, I'm definitely at all costs resting Melvin Gordon this week after Justin Jackson's performance. Even if he's a full go this week and he tries to convince me, I'm not letting Gordon play at all this weekend. I think you're well enough off with Austin Eckler and, and Justin Jackson going Sunday against Cincy. If he's ready to go this week, I say rest up and get ready for the game in Kansas City. Because if he goes Sunday, that's less rest time uh, on a short week, on a Thursday. It Just recovery time wouldn't be in Gordon's favor. That just wouldn't make any sense. And that's the more important game right now if he's ready by then. So I'm resting Gordon, and I hope at all costs Lynn just shuts him down this week and say take the extra seven days, rest up, get ready for Kansas City. But Justin Jackson, man, he ran like a seasoned veteran, showed he and Eckler can shoulder the load while Gordon is out. So no need to rush Melvin back. He was impressive, and I'm curious how they get Eckler, Jackson, and Gordon involved when Gordon gets back because Jackson's definitely earned some snaps, and he deserves to be part of the game plan going forward.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think Jackson was fantastic. Uh, the vision was great. Uh, the open field moves were pretty electric. I mean, that jump cut that he has is pretty sudden and very effective. Uh, I noticed, you know, studying yeah. him uh, when the Chargers signed or when the Chargers drafted him, I noticed that he was a guy who he has kind of a herky jerky style. It's not real smooth, uh, but it's effective. He's kind of, you know, he's jumping around, kind of jitterbugging in the hole a little bit. But he's very sudden with his moves and with his burst, and it's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, very patient, great vision. That touchdown run was great. I mean, he sets out the jump cut, then jumps in between two defenders. Uh, yeah, He looked very, very good. I, I would agree that he is deserving of some carries. I mean, will he be in the rotation? He's the RB3, so he probably won't be in the rotation unless they're concerned about Gordon's health down the stretch. Um, I think they're going to stick with Gordon and Eckler. They have enough trouble getting Eckler touches, so I, <laughs> I don't know how they're going to figure out how to get Gordon, Eckler, and Jackson touches. But I, I suppose those cut those touches could come at the expense of Eckler, depending on how they're viewing those guys at the moment. Um, in terms of this week, I I don't think they need Gordon to beat uh to beat Cincinnati. To be honest with you, I, I don't think that Cincinnati team is very good. Their defense certainly is not very good. They're having a hard time stopping the run. Uh, they're getting torched in uh, in coverage quite a bit. I just I don't think they're very good. So I don't think you need him. I don't think you want to put those extra carries on him. I agree. Just sit him down. He doesn't need to practice. doesn't need to play. Go with Jackson and Eckler. Figure out how to balance those two guys out and get more out of both of them and just give him the extra week so he's healthy, ready to go on Thursday in Kansas City because that's where you need him because he he always kills the chiefs and they just need to figure out a way to have him play that whole game and be healthy and ready to go and take a full workload.
1: Yep. All right. So for those of you who have been complaining about short podcasts, we did almost an hour on a very important game and a fun win by the chargers. I am at Gary on Twitter, Jamie at lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks everybody.